the line from the psalm, For God alone, my soul in silence waits. Uh, repeated twice in the psalm. Uh, silence is God's first language, as some have said. It's the language in which we hear God speak. It's the language which we also hear ourselves speak to, to ourselves. And uh, it's the language that we speak probably the least. I don't know about you, but um, maybe it's the fact that I have ADHD or whatever it is, but it's hard for me to even like take the garbage out without putting on my headphones and listening to an audio book. Um, it's hard for me to be in silence. Um, and maybe you're better at it than I am. But to me, silence is a discipline I've, I'm trying to learn uh, and learning at very slowly. So as we learn together in the confession of silence, uh, doing it for a minute does seem like a really long time. Uh, but it's also the way we uh, get to know God better, get to know ourselves. Um, we're uncomfortable with ourselves in silence, just as we are uncom- uncomfortable in, the, in silence with other people. Often we try to fill in the silence when um, sometimes it's okay to just let there be silence. One of the marks of good friendship is the ability to be silent together. And so it is with God. Uh, our ability to be silent with God is one of the, um, one of the ways we get to know God. And yet there's rejoicing in the prophet Joel, a very noisy scene of animals in the field and people harvesting figs and this beautiful vision of rain coming and the early rain and the latter rain and the vats of wine and oil are overflowing. Um, The army of locusts is not coming anymore. This time of restored prosperity that Joel predicts uh, has never really happened for the people that it was spoken to. Even the restoration of God's people uh, from exile brought back under Cyrus, uh, as chronicled in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, um, that return from exile never fully happened. And we see the, the struggle in the land of Israel today for a return from exile. And it's hard to know if it's really happened. Jesus talked about um, the return from exile when he was here on this earth, that he was in, in many ways fulfilling that return from exile, not with a restored uh, physical kingdom, but with a spiritual kingdom. And so as followers of Jesus, we say, this is the prosperity that we have. We have this amazing abundance of God's love and grace poured out on, through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, as he offers his body and blood to us in communion. This is the, the final return from exile, but it's not fully completed yet. Like all prophecy, it's already not yet. It happens here in moments and in, in seasons. It happens and somewhat comes and goes, this kind of prosperity and blessing. But it, we still await for it in the future. And I believe that the people that were originally, that this was originally prophesied to, await it in the future as well. Uh, the people of God uh, that, that were originally uh, Joel's original audience and will never, ever be put to shame. The shame of crucifixion that Jesus experienced uh, is one of the hallmarks or the um, the deep theological moment of the crucifixion of Jesus is the shame that he endured for us. Uh, the shame not only of being crucified naked in the sun in front of everybody, but also uh, to die a criminal's death, to be hanging on a tree, that's a shameful death. Uh, and then to, um, and to have people mock him and spit on him and, and, you know, take out their anger upon him. But also the shame of bearing the sins of the world, to, be, to bear in his body the sins 
that we've done and left undone, all the stuff of our whole lives and all the stuff of the whole world, all the injustices he bore in himself. And that shame that he bore for us is why we never have to feel shame again, why we never have to feel that kind of alienation from God ever again. Even though we might feel it, it's not true. It's the devil's lie. We walk in boldness and faith. And that's what Joel says, that my people will never be put to shame again. And that is true. And Jesus Christ will never be put to shame again. There's nothing you can say about me that the devil hasn't said about me already, uh, that Jesus hasn't paid for, that's not crucified on the cross. So slander me all you want. Say all the things you want. But it's probably true. Um, but that's, those are things that Jesus died for, that I've been forgiven for, and that I'm living in a, a thank you life now today, saying thank you, God, for this gift of life. And thank you for taking away my shame, even though it sometimes creeps back and, uh, and the devil reminds me of that past. That, that's when we remind the devil of the devil's past, that he is on, that all those things were crucified on the cross and the devil lost on Calvary Hill 2,000 years ago. Amen. Today's the feast day of Charles Simeon, uh, a priest, Anglican priest. Um, the historian Thomas Macaulay, who uh, wrote a lot of history back in the day, said about Charles Simeon, if you knew what his authority and influence were and how they extended from Cambridge to the most remote corners of England, you would allow that his real sway in the church was far greater than that of any primate or any bishop or head of the church. So even though he was a priest, he was able to uh, help a lot of people in a wide variety of places that normally only bishops could sort of reach. Um, but he was he uh, became a Christian in 1779 while he was a student. He, um, he had a conversion experience to Christianity. Uh, and it, it happened while he was preparing himself to receive Holy Communion, um, which was required uh, for all undergraduates at his university. How times have changed. Uh, mandatory communion is not a thing uh, we do in school anymore. His first communion had been deeply depressing and discouraging, um, because of the, because of his use of the popular devotional tract, the whole duty of man, which emphasized law and obedience as the means of receiving the sacrament worthily. So even in this time of great Protestantism, uh, these uh, things of these movements to try to get people to feel bad about themselves and to uh, see Christianity as being a way of keeping a bunch of laws. Uh, pops up again. It always has a way of popping up. Um, so he was preparing for communion before Easter. He was given a copy of Bishop Thomas Wilson's Instructions for the Lord's Supper. Um, these are all like just short little books that were around at the time. And it had a very different approach. It recognized that the law could not make one righteous and that only the sacrifice of Christ perceived by faith could enable one to communicate worthily. This time, the experience of Holy Communion was one of peace and exhilaration, a new beginning of a Christian life whose influence is difficult to exaggerate. In 1782, so the Revolutionary War is raging in the Americas, um, the year of his graduation from King's College in Cambridge, he was placed in charge of Trinity Church in that city uh, while still a deacon. So he's probably like maybe 20-something at the most, uh, early 20s. He remained rector there for 54 years. So 54 years, you know, that's a normal 
time to stay at a church, I guess. Despite intense early opposition from the church wardens and congregation over his evangelical preaching, uh, Simeon's influence and authority developed slowly, but he eventually became recognized as leader of the evangelical movement in the Church of England. He helped found the Church Missionary Society and was active in recru- recruiting and supporting missionaries, including Henry Martin, who we recognize on October 19th. As a preacher, he ranks high in the history of Anglicanism. His sermons were unfailingly biblical, simple, and passionate. The influence of Simeon and his friends were thus described by a historian named William Leakey. They gradually changed the whole spirit of the English church. They infused into it a new fire and passion of devotion, kindled a spirit of fervent philanthropy, raised the standard of clerical duty, and completely altered the whole tone and tendency of the preaching of its ministers. He died on November 13th in Cambridge and was buried at King's College. Uh, The evangelical movement in the Church of England is very different from the evangelicals that you see in America. Um, Evangelicalism in England is very much uh, tied to social consciousness. It was the evangelicals like William Wilberforce around this time that made slavery illegal in the British Empire. Um, right around this time, that was when, or a little before that, this actually, um, where they made uh, slavery illegal, even though England was profiting like immensely over the slave trade in the Caribbean and the Americas. So it was the evangelicals who led a lot of these social movements to stop child labor in factories as children were losing hands and fingers in factories and not going to school. They started the Sunday school movement and a lot of other um, Reform. So evangelicals in England, I'm painting with a broad brush here, are very concerned about the social uh, fabric of society, unlike evangelicals often in America. So we need this evangelical fervor in the Episcopal Church uh, to come back, but in, in hopefully in a way that also looks at the needs of real people in real time, not just on a sort of pie in the sky, it, we, why polish the the brass on the Titanic kind of attitude that often evangelicals have here in America. So let's pray. O loving God, we know that all things are ordered by your unerring wisdom and unbounded love. Grant us in all things to see your hand, that following the example and teaching of your servant, Charles Simeon, we may walk with Christ in all simplicity and serve you with a quiet and contented mind through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We continue to pray a collect for, let's see, for mission on 100. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of your holy church, that in their vocation and ministry, They may truly and devoutly serve you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.